So in the last couple of weeks, we've been um, looking at some of these early stories, the Jesus, the younger years, we've seen how the shepherds, some of the lowliest were the, among the first to hear the good news of Jesus birth. And they responded through worshiping him. And then Mary and Joseph took Jesus to be circumcised in the temple and Simeon and Anna recognized him as their savior that they've been waiting for. So it was the shepherds. And then those that were worshiping in the temple that were the first to see who Jesus was. And Mary and Joseph respond with awe and wonder. So both of those passages come from the gospel of Luke. And Luke also includes that familiar story that we read at Warehouse on Christmas Eve of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem and how there's no room in the end. But today we're looking at the gospel of Matthew. Matthew begins with the genealogy of Jesus, which is one of those passages in the Bible that's easy to skip over because the names are hard to read. Um, there's a lot of meaning buried in those names, but it seems that Matthew really was wanting to establish Jesus as the true heir of the throne, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He was really careful to show that Jesus was fulfilling all of these prophecies because he was writing to a Jewish audience. So it's significant then that the story of the Magi follows this genealogy. So we're looking at chapter two of Matthew today. So if you have a Bible app on your phone, if you want to grab a physical Bible, you can take a minute to do that. It's going to be on the screen as well. But as I read the passage this morning, I would love to invite you to participate in this way that last week, Mike introduced us to the practice of beginning the study of scripture. Our doorbell is ringing. Sorry, guys. Um, beginning the study of scripture with asking questions, just starting with 25 questions. What, what can we be curious about? And I love this practice because it helps us enter into the story in a new way to be curious and to wonder I think it can be dangerous when we think we have all of the answers about anything really. And when I was in seminary as a 20 something year old, I thought that was what I was going to do. I was going to go and learn all of the answers about God and about scripture. It seemed like the more I learned, the less I really knew. And the biggest question I had to wrestle with was, can I trust that God is good? Even if I don't have all the answers or if the answers that I think I have are wrong. So as we read this passage, I want you to pay attention to the details of this familiar story. And maybe in the chat, write in some questions that you have. What comes to mind as we read? This is Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. 
As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw this, the child with his mother married, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Okay, so when my kids and I did this, here's some questions that we came up with, and I'd, I'd love to hear yours too, if you have any. Um, we wondered how many wise men were there and where were they from? Are people born kings? Don't you have to be a prince and then become a king? What's the significance of the gold and frankincense and myrrh? What's up with Herod? Why did the scribes not go try to find Jesus too? Was the star actually moving? Did the star stop? Was it really a star? And where was Joseph? Why were they in a home? What happened to the manger? It says they saw a child, not a baby. How old was Jesus? Was Jesus what the wise men were expecting? The reality is there are a lot of details of the story that have been filled in by interpretation and the way the wise men have been portrayed over the years. There's that song that many of us are familiar with, the We Three Kings of Orient Are. The scripture doesn't say that they are kings, and yet we sing this song and they're bearing gifts, traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. And I think um, I, I've always been struck by the word yonder in this song. I know it can be used in um, old English, but now I'm like, I have this picture of like, cowboy wise men or country wise men saying it with like a thick country accent because you don't hear the word yonder a lot these days. So there, there are also a lot of depictions of the wise men through art and we have a few images to share with you. Um, some of these date back first centuries. So there's three wise men and their camels. There's wise men um, you can see above that even has the, they've been given names, Balthazar, Melichor, Casper. Oh, I love that question, Nathan. Why was Jerusalem also troubled with Herod? That's a great question. Um, the wise men are often depicted as part of the nativity. So right there with the shepherds and with Mary and Joseph and the baby. This next one is, is one of my favorites. Um, not this one, you can go to the next one, Heather, but thank you. Um, so look, here's baby Jesus. For one, he looks really kind of pasty and white and he's got blonde hair. And if any of you have ever had a baby boy before taking care of baby boy, I um, feel like my friend, Catherine Kirkendall can speak to this, but this is not a good position for the wise men to be in. He is literally in the, in the line of fire here, but I do love that he's like kneeling and wants to get close and see, and he's one full of wonder. Um, and I love the way Jesus is reaching out to him too. So there's also some really funny uses of the wise men through culture and art. I appreciated this next one. 
that is, um, it says after the three wise men left, the three wiser women arrived. They brought some more practical gifts, although I don't think any of us would turn down the gift of gold, but um, I want to give a little shout out to our expectant parent care team that shows up with some of these practical gifts if you're in need of that. Um, so you see that many, many ways our view of the wise men of the Magi has been filled in by, by culture and by um, what we have imagined in our minds. In the church calendar, the Feast of Epiphany commemorates the visit of the Magi to the Christ child and God's revelation to the Gentiles. So Epiphany is usually celebrated on January 6th, 12 days after Christmas. People celebrate this in different ways. Sometimes we like to burn our Christmas tree on Epiphany because it feels like there's nothing quite like the flames that come from a dry Christmas tree to remember that the light of the world has come. And some people celebrate with the three kings cake and baby Jesus is hidden inside. And if you find baby Jesus, you're supposed to have good luck, which I think is kind of sweet and, and also a little bit weird to me. I don't really understand why Jesus is in the cake, but what, here's what we do know about the wise men. The term magi comes from the Greek, and it means that they were of the learned or priestly class. We know that they were from the East. They were deserving of the name wise. It's likely that they studied the stars. They seem to have no doubt that this king had been born and that his title, King of the Jews, was true. We don't know how many of them there were. There are three gifts mentioned, but not the number of wise men. And we don't know exactly where they're from, although many have speculated that they might've been from Persia or Chaldea. It's unlikely that they actually rode camels. The camels were used more as pack animals during that time and wealthy travelers would typically ride horses. And there's a theory that developed that they came from three different countries, Persia, India, and Africa. And they're often depicted as different races or nationalities. But verse 12 says they return to their country, not countries, plural. So this portrayal seems to be more of an illustration that Jesus came for all the nations rather than a reflection of what was in scripture. It's possible that the wise men maybe journeyed a thousand miles to see Jesus. My friend, Barbara Brown Taylor, again, she says that people could learn as much about the ways of God from paying attention to the world as they could from paying attention to scripture. And we know that the wise men were paying attention. They saw a star rise and they decided to follow and to worship. But you know who missed it was the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They were full of knowledge. They knew the scripture and where the Messiah was to be born. And yet they missed the chance to experience him. The scriptures informed and brought fuller meaning to what the wise men had seen. And they went to worship him. But where was the curiosity and wonder for the priest and for the scribes? And when the wise men saw him, they fall down before him. They opened up their treasures and they offer him gifts. And much has been written about these gifts that they offer, but we do know that the gifts were lavish and they were appropriate. It is commonly believed that the gold represents kingship and the frankincense, the deity and myrrh death and that in these three gifts that we see the story of Jesus's life. So what does this say about who God is and, and our response to him? 
gets clear that God wants to reveal himself to us. And in this story, he uses a star and prophecies and dreams. He wants to be known by us. He comes to the lowly, to the, the shepherds, he comes to the worshipers and to those who are far, far off. Matthew used a whole chapter to show how Jesus was the heir to the throne and the rightful king of the Jews. And then he tells the story of the wise men. And it's like he's saying, yes, Jesus is all of these things that we've been waiting for and more. And he's not here just to save us, but the whole world. And the table is big enough for all of us. Because it's commonly believed that the wise men studied the stars, we see that God came to them in their own language using a tool that they understood. They don't seem to question whether or not he was their king. They respond by starting the journey. I don't know what they were expecting to see when they found him. I imagine he didn't look much like a king, but they worshiped him. It can be interpreted that they literally fell before Jesus. Worship is meant to be embodied and it's a posture, not just of our bodies, but our hearts too. They paid attention. They journeyed far. They changed their posture in response to him and they offered him gifts. So what does that look like for us? We too are on a journey, right? What are the things that we are seeking? The things that we are longing for? What are we paying attention to? Our identity statement for Warehouse is that we are a community of imperfect people, beloved by Jesus, seeking to live in him and in his ways. And we chose that word seeking to acknowledge the journey that is knowing God, that it's not a destination and we haven't arrived yet. Because I had a sick kid last week, I watched a lot of movies, including the new movie Sing 2, which is a pretty amazing cast of characters, including Scarlett Johansson and Bono. And in the end, they sing this duet of the song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I've always loved this song and was particularly moved by that moment in the movie. And there's something almost haunting about that lyric. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It seems to capture longing in such a beautiful way. And this song has stayed with me this week as I've been praying and anticipating our time together this morning. Bono sings, I believe in the kingdom come, then all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds and you loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame, of my shame. And you know, I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I love that Bono expresses both his belief and his longing. And we can live in the tension of both to acknowledge what we know to be true and our desire for more. Parker Palmer calls this tension the tragic gap, the gap between the way things are and the way things might be, between what is and what we hope will be. And it can often feel like we don't permission, have permission to name that longing and the gap that exists between the now and the not yet. 
that we are supposed to just shove those feelings down. But I think that these longings are not only worth naming, but that it would serve as well to pay attention to our longings and to be curious about how God might be using those to draw him, draw us to himself. I don't know what would have prompted the wise men to begin their journey, but I think it was far more about wonder and curiosity and longing than it was about duty or obligation. The Irish poet John O'Donoghue writes, blessed be the longing that brought you here and quickens your soul with wonder. Blessed be the longing that brought you here and quickens your soul with wonder. Our longings are worth blessing. So what are the things that you are longing for today? For connection, for peace, for the end of COVID, for hope, for answers, to be seen and known, for intimacy. Could expressing these longings lead you closer to the Lord, who is the one who sees us and knows us? And could we be curious, not just about our own longings, but also of the people around us? Blessed be the longing that brought you here and quickens your soul with wonder. And I love that phrase, quickens your soul with wonder. And like Mike said last week and in the chat, we warehouse's word for the year that he's named is wonder. And I'm looking forward to how that unfolds in the months to come. And I know that I need more wonder and delight in my own life. If you have young children and who woke up to the winter wonderland out there. We've experienced some of that this morning. It's easy for me to jump to the, the mess and the wetness and the, are we going to lose power and the worries that come with that? But um, the kids can stay in that wonder and delight a lot longer. And I think there's an invitation for us in that too. But as the wise men kneeled before Jesus, were their souls quickened with wonder? I think so. And I think that um, their lives were changed. What were their lives like after they encountered Jesus? The scripture says they went back a different way. Were their lives as different as the path that they took? John O'Donohue ends his blessing of longing by saying, may you come to accept your longing as divine urgency, and may you know the urgency with which God longs for you. When we lived in California, we got to experience the beauty and the uniqueness of the desert and the Joshua trees, and it gave me a new appreciation for the inspiration behind U2's Joshua Tree album, and specifically that song. I still haven't found one I'm looking for. The Joshua trees, if you didn't know, are named after Joshua in the Bible. And it was the, from when he was raising his, his arms in prayer and they are weird looking trees, but they are, um, full of beauty and longing. And then when we got to go to U2's Joshua tree concert tour and joined in the chorus of thousands singing, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It felt like worship and like a little glimpse of heaven. But it also highlighted my own longings. Even though we were primarily with this group of strangers, we were connected over a shared love of music, 
a willingness to express our emotions through song. And there is unity and beauty and hope and the taste of what it will be like when that tragic gap closes and all things are made new. It is good and right to long for more and to let the longings of our heart bring wonder and awe to the one who longs for us. I'm going to pray for us and, um, and play our video of our band leading worship. I think I saw our friend Brent Howell on here. Brent, you didn't know you were leading worship today, but we got you um, playing in this video. So let me pray and I'll start that video. So Lord, we thank you for, um, thank you for the, the beauty and wonder of who you are. Thank you that you meet us even in our deepest longings and in that it can just lead us to how much you long for us. We pray that um, the beauty of this day would bring us delight. And as we experience more of you, that we would have a curiosity and wonder um, for ourselves and for this world that you've created. Right. In Jesus name. Amen. <laughs> 